If you or a loved one has been diagnosed with an acute obsession of true crime, caught discussing tragic events with unwilling participants, or kept awake at night by the paranormal or just plain absurd, you've found the right place. All others, beware of catching this dangerous bug as we begin to talk about the facts. And welcome back, my fact friends, to another episode of Let's Talk About the Facts Christmas Crimes. And we are doing a special two-part mini-series. It's not quite a series. It's not quite a mini-series, but I'm going to call it that anyway. And I have invited three guests. Count it, three. I have not invited multiple guests since episode three so we're gonna see how this goes so up first we have fan favorite aka all of you kelly larson kelly tell us something about yourself one thing go i have thumbs like megan fox love it (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness I can't not see that now, and I've never <laughs> met you in real life. Everyone comments on it. That's why I always want a thumb war game, so. I mean, speaking of. <laughs> speaking of that second male voice, that would be Justin Plaskett. Hey-o. Tell us about yourself. One thing. No, you can have two things, because this is your first time on the show. I get two things? Okay. You get two things. Um, I watch a lot of TV and I really like to eat fruit. Yep, I can buy that. Okay, and then finally, <laughs> last but certainly not least, also a show veteran, Rachel Hip Flores. Hello. Uh, I am going to be staying so still because apparently everyone can hear every movement I make. <laughs> so I'm going to be muting myself and then just being incredibly still. It's like quiet as a mouse, still as a rock. Exactly. <laughs> she shall be winning, except I don't want her to be quiet as a mouse because she has bomb ass shit to say. Okay. So now you know our panelists. Welcome to our panel. We are going to be discussing the Jean Monnet Ramsey case, but in a way that you may not have heard it before. For. The fact that the four of us are almost, well, Kelly and I actually, are the same age as Jean Monnet, and I believe Justin and Rachel both are close to the age of Jean Monnet. Um, and so we're going to discuss the case. And then in a second special episode, we're going to give our theories based on what our interpretation of the case as I presented. Um, is our feelings towards it and then we're going to talk about sort of what it was like growing up as children during this time that child murder child trafficking um teen trafficking was so sensationalized and salacious that it was everywhere it was the biggest thing to sell you would see it on tabloids everywhere honestly there was a, another story every day. So how did that affect us looking backward 
what do we think that the lasting effects of that are and you know basically stuff like that and so tune in next week for the second half of our Christmas crimes Jean Benet Ramsey part two but for this week um Kelly, Justin, and Rachel all have very different levels of knowledge regarding the Jean Benet Ramsey case. So go ahead, guys. Kelly first, Justin second, Rachel third. Uh, tell us kind of where you're at with the Jean Benet Ramsey case and where you kind of fall on the spectrum of knowing about random cases of going missing or what sort of level you were as a child about things not being safe okay so you want me to go first right yes kelly justin rachel i was always bad at directions okay so (laughs) for me i just remember all the tabloids following her missing like when she went missing like years later being like who is this kid like she was an actress or she was a superstar like who is this person and my mom would always be like oh she's a missing child and so From there, I think that was when I became very hyper aware of missing kids' cases. Mm -hmm. And after that, it just kind of like I've always been fascinated. Like my one of my favorite books is Face on the Milk Carton. Oh, yeah. So love those stories. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I don't know a lot about it. All I know is the the sensationalized like media surrounding her missing kids situation gotcha and justin you know it's interesting that you said um you brought up that she was like an actress or like a child star or something because i like i don't remember much about it and the case like jean benet ramsey bleeds into like casey anthony like that whole case in my mind they just kind of blend together mm-hmm. but the minute you said actress or child star i was like oh yeah this was like the pageant thing and mm-hmm. there was a whole like and i'm not sure if that's true or if i'm just making it up but it's like no i'm pretty sure there were pageant photos at one point and like that mm-hmm. was everywhere yeah right. with the uh, big hair mm-hmm. that's all I yeah with remember. like that glorious 90s hair that was like and like the sparkly pink like it was it was absolutely like southern pageant culture like baby dolly pardon Mm -hmm. yes Mm -hmm. she always looked to me she looked like that kid that you compare like as a girl you always compared yourself to you wish you had like the butt nose and and the small face and and the bright blonde hair because it was the 90s so you're Mm -hmm. like i want that like perfect quaffed hair i sound so old right now i'm sorry and and that magnificent filter too Ooh. yes yeah (laughs) Uh, Rachel, what were what are your thoughts there? Uh, much the same as uh, Justin's. It it was always sort of background noise in my childhood. Like it's a really shitty way to describe the missing <laughs> child as that, but yeah. like it was always on on TV. Like my mom was obsessed with it, and I think that I'm just sort of filtered. I think I just sort of filtered a lot of it out because it was like the thing that the grownups watched. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as like, I don't know, I think I, I just sort of, I grew up in the sort of slightly af- after the advent of like the stranger danger era. So mm-hmm. like there was definitely a lot of like, you know, don't talk to strangers, don't get in cars, all that stuff. That was just sort of like the the fundamentals of, of childhood. Like everyone was always out to get you. 
but the John Benet thing was, yeah, the pageant thing was a huge um, part of it. And that was, I think, sort of when I realized that so I was like a little bit older than her and I sort of had aspirations to do like show business and whatever. And it was looking at that thing at like those pictures where it was like, oh, <laughs> I'm not that and I don't know that I want to be that. So it was a weird sort of introduction to that or larger world. Right. That's... You know... Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, like, thinking about... Because what else was happening in, in 96? This was 96, right? Right. Uh, so that was... Was was the OJ trial then No, as well? OJ was like 95, I think. 94, 95. Okay. 94, Another 95. thing that my mom was obsessed with. So we went we went from like OJ into JonBenet, and then when was um, the Monica Lewinsky, Ken Starr, Clinton impeachment thing? That's a couple uh, a year or two later. Okay, so this was all like happening at the same time, right? Yeah, and it was like one after the other. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jesus, that was a lot of nineties. I feel like it was the it was the nineties kind of blew things open in terms of thinking that things were always proper, like the proper way to do things. 90s kind of after the 80s were just like, let's rip this open. Yeah. Prove that you're wrong. They did mm-hmm. have the, yeah, uh, real. the Summer Olympics in Atlanta. Mm. With the bombing. That, yeah. Yep. Um, and then uh, if I remember, let me see. Yes, I am looking this up, everyone. <laughs> Because off the top of my head, uh, yes, Amber Hagerman went missing um, in that January. And Amber Hagerman is who Amber Alert is named after. She uh, died in January 15th, 1996 in Arlington, Texas. And so the Amber Alert would soon be developed after. And so that was a big, big one. Um that's crazy that it's only 1996. It feels like the Amber Alert's been around forever, but then you realize it's like 30 years ago. And for myself, the next year, uh, Morgan Nick would go missing. She's never been found. That was my pilot episode of the show. Uh, there has been an update. I haven't done that update yet. But uh, basically, for myself, it was everywhere you turn around, there was another missing child. And so, and then with the advent of the Amber Alert, it was like, oh man, we should find some of these kids. You know what I mean? And when they, um, like all of these abductions kind of increased, if you will, in notoriety, thanks to the, um, I would say like this 24 hour news cycle that was building and building and building starting at the end of the eighties and would just progress to the point that it is now. And that was something I wanted to touch on. in our next episode is how the advent of that would change our perception of safety. And, um, so with all that in mind and all that being said, let's jump into this and get into the case because, you know, 
I love nothing more than scaring the pants off of all of you. So JonBenet Ramsey, adorable young little girl. She was born in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, though we know her from being in Colorado. Um, on August 6, 1990. Her full name is JonBenet Pat- Patricia Ramsey. She was born to John Bennett Ramsey and Patricia Ramsey. Don't remember her mom's middle name, but she did go by Patsy Ramsey most commonly. She would be declared dead on December 25th, 1996 in Boulder, Colorado, USA. Um, where her parents lived at the time. They moved to Boulder fairly recently. Um, and her final resting place is in Marietta, Georgia. So, those are the basic things. All right. Let's talk about the crime. So, John Ramsey, her father, he is a businessman. He was the president of Access Graphics, which is a computer system company that later became a subsidiary of Lockheed Martin. So he had a first marriage. He divorced his first wife. He had three children with her. One of his children, a 22-year-old daughter from the first marriage, her name was Elizabeth, ironically for me. Uh, She died in a car crash in 1992, so four years before he would then lose Jomene. Uh, But in 1991... Right before Elizabeth passed, John had moved with Patsy um, and the family of Patsy, their son, Burke, and their daughter, JonBenet, to Boulder, where Access Graphics headquarters was located. So they had been in Georgia for quite some time, but they moved to Boulder in 1991. So they considered Georgia to be home, but for work... They moved to Boulder. Now, Patsy Ramsey had been like a pageant star, and her daughter did share a similar passion for it. So she would enter her daughter into various child beauty pageants that were held in Boulder. And Jean Benet had won titles like uh, America's Royal Miss, Little Miss Charlevoix, Little Miss Colorado, Colorado State All-Star Kids Cover Girl, and National Tiny Miss Beauty. Jaminet's active role in child beauty pageants in Patsy's reported pageantry mother behavior was reported by the media after murder, and it was held in such a negative light, they, they were calling her um, like she was pimping out her daughter, and... Patsy was so confused because she was like, why would anybody look at these photos? And these are the photos that you would see of JonBenet and think that they were meant to be sexualized. Um, Because not only were the photos of JonBenet just pageantry photos, but there were other contestants and there were other people, other women putting their daughters in these contests So that's also saying that their behavior was the same and this was something Patsy herself grew up doing. And so she didn't understand how her putting her daughter in pageants and her daughter like having fun doing it was something to be ashamed of. Um, 
Little did they well, know we have whole TV shows about it now. Right. And it's like, and mind you, I, my, like I'm connected to the South. My family is from the South. I was born in Virginia. Um, so like pageant culture is a real thing. Like oh, yeah. it's a very, very real thing. But I feel like it doesn't necessarily translate geographically. <laughs> so like, I like I had never participated. In, like I don't like my siblings. No one in my family did this. Um, I think like the closest was my aunt, um, who was like a pageant queen when she was younger. But it was something that I was aware of growing up. And then when mm -hmm. I moved to the Midwest and Iowa, it was like. I would constantly think that my friends who were in like dance and, and whatever, that that was what they were actually doing was that, Oh, this is just a part of the whole pageant thing. And this is why you play flute. And this is why you do this after school. And it's like, no, that's just their interest. It's there's not this overarching umbrella because it's just not a thing there. Whereas in the South, it is huge. Mm -hmm. I gotta, I gotta second that, especially in California, born and raised. I, I never, I didn't understand when they said that she was a beauty pageant star because I remember looking at my mom and I'm like, aren't those for like older women? And my mom's like, oh, sweet, innocent flower. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, oh, man. Yeah. You just, there's no beauty. There, I, there, there has to be beauty pageants in California, but it's so rare. Yeah, no, you, in the yeah. South, like I've had to participate in some of them like my mom's job my poor brother had to participate in it my poor brother had to go down a catwalk guys shout out to robert for going down a catwalk holding me as a baby there's a video that's amazing and i want to yes. watch this wait he, i have a question <laughs> yes was he hold were you in the pageant or was he in the pageant oh two things can be true in that statement interesting that's a whole extra level I was not aware of. We were models. Oh, yeah. Wait, you've got to elaborate now. This is You, you open a can like, of worms. Yeah. <laughs> I was a baby wearing modeling baby clothes. And Robert, I think he was like 9 or 10 at the time. And he was modeling like the new back to school wear. And he's walking down the <laughs> runway with me. Oh, my God. This <laughs> is going to be, be a separate. Pictures? I don't this... have them. This needs to be a separate Christmas crimes episode where it's just the <laughs> crimes of parents against children. I've shown you oh guys my like my pageant picture where I look pissed. <laughs> I look like <laughs> correct. going to murder somebody. That is the correct expression. I remember asking my mom when I was little, I was like, was I ever approached to be like a child actor or like a model or anything? And my mom's like, like you would have sit still for that. Like she like completely <laughs> <laughs> crushed my dreams in like one second. She's like, yeah, like you'd have the attitude to sit still for long periods of time. Oh, no. I sat still. I just would not like smile. I just would give the glare of like mm. a mob boss. I was a reborn owl. Capone like you have a legit glare like your glare oh, game is on point thanks I've been working on it since the womb and <laughs> I never stop working on it but sorry back to Patricia Ramsey so like every time they question her about it I'm like bitches calm down you just want to find something to run her up for and 
letting her do pageants, especially like if that's what she wanted to do. I remember seeing um, an interview where she was like, Jean Monnet was an entertainer and she they showed the video of her singing the song and dancing in a cowgirl outfit. And like you can't force someone to do it with that much gusto at six years old. Like, trust me, my mother tried. And they, like, she was like, this is what she wanted to do. And you can see she's happy. I don't see this as inappropriate behavior. But, of course, in 1996 slash 1997, because, you know, six days, um, they were going to find anything to drag John and Patsy Ramsey through the dirt. So um, let's get into basically what happened after they went to bed on Christmas Day. So they all go to bed. It is confirmed. They've all gone to bed. And in the morning of December 26th, 1996, Patsy Ramsey gets up. She goes down the spiral staircase of their home. It's huge home. Um, also, I'll note... It is very messy. Like, they're they're just messy. Like, who isn't? But not to judge their home, but it's easy to see, like, if someone came in and started rummaging through their stuff, who's going to notice? Like, shit everywhere, you know? It's not when dirty. We talk about, oh. When we talk about stuff, sorry. When we talk about stuff, are we talking, like, stuff that just doesn't spark joy? Or are we talking full-on, like, hoarders? <laughs> Not, oh, God, no, not hoarders. Um, I've okay, seen photos okay. of the inside of their house. It's more of, like, okay. mail is here and, like, schoolwork and some books for the kids and, like, stuff like that. And the part that kills me is that they had a housekeeper, and I was like, she sucked at her job. Yeah, like, ask for your money back. <laughs> Sorry. Bitch. Um, but she realizes that her daughter is missing, and she finds a two-and-a-half-page handwritten ransom letter. That's not a note. That's a ransom letter on the staircase. So I could read you the whole thing. I don't know if you want me to. But key notes, the note demands $118,000. And in today's money, that's about 192360 And equivalent to... 1996 1 million pesos just so you know i want to put that in your brain uh, so john um would point out to the police that first arrived on the scene that it was almost identical to his christmas bonus of the prior year um so it suggests that somebody had information that would be involved in the crime uh if you listen to Patsy Ramsey's 911 call, which I did today to refresh my brain, uh, some people say she doesn't sound legitimate. And I think she does because she asks for help immediately and she's panicking. And the 911 operator, honestly, I wanted to slap her because she's like, calm down, calm down. And I'm like, this bitch just told you her daughter's missing. Can you, like, speed up what you're going to do? Because if I was this, if I was Patsy Ramsey 
And I just told you my daughter's missing and you haven't told me, okay, I'm going to get some police ready. Can you give me some information? Then I'm going to punch you in the face. Like I am only going to get worse. You were terrible at your job. I hate when people say calm down. Oh yeah. I'm going to lose When you have a legitimate reason, even if it, even if it seems weird to other people, they're like, you need to be calm. It's like, no, 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 no. My feelings are valid. Because it feels yeah. like they just try to invalidate the feelings. And in this case, yeah, no, operators need to learn how to do better. Uh, I mean, I think they do better now. Mm-hmm. But of course, in 1996. Also, it was a woman who answered her. And I would have been like, oh, maybe it was a guy who's just writing her off for hysteria. But no, this woman was so like, she was, quote unquote, trying to get her to, you know, stay in the line and be calm. But you know what? I agree with Patsy on hanging up on her dumbass because I was mad. Um, so the only people known to be in the house on the night of her death were Patsy John and JonBenet's brother, Burke. So the ransom note had contained specific instructions against contacting police and friends. But, okay, so here's my, here's my beef. When they say don't contact the police, the police are always like, you should have contacted us, right? But now they're like, oh, well, it said don't contact the police, and that's the first thing you do. Wait, what? Seriously? Yeah. They, the police actually told her that she did it, she was wrong by contacting them. Lit, like, it, it's a thing. So anyway, so she calls the police at 5.52 a.m. That's when she had gotten up, right? Yeah. And she also called family and friends. She was like, fuck this. My daughter's gone. I don't know what's going on. Um, so after this horrible 911 call, two officers show up to the house, right? And within, they say within three minutes, I feel like it was a little longer. Who knows? So they do a search of the house. They find no so- sign of first of forced entry, right? But she's gone, okay? So the thing is, is Jean Benet is gone. I can't wait to tell you about how fucked up they this this whole investigation is about to be because at this moment what should have happened were the Ramseys to be escorted to the police station along with the ransom note all three of them for safety because this ransom note makes threats and you don't know who this is right yeah um, <laughs> I have a question about ransom notes. Okay, hit me. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It feels like a. Uh, has a ransom note ever like been a successful exchange of contracts? Like <laughs> every like, it, it's like okay, here I'm gonna set these standards, and you can have this individual back after you pay me, and they'll be unharmed. And if we need to raise the stakes, we'll clip off a knuckle or something like that. You know, whatever. Oh TV my God, is the Most creative thing. Listen, I watch a lot of television. I didn't say what shows. <laughs> I just watch a lot of them. But like, where are you going to go? Like, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, if we're treating this like it's a contract, like this is a verbal contract, an exchange of goods, if you will. Oh like, well, it's a written contract, but okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a, sorry, it's a written contract. But it's like, okay, we're treating this like it's an exchange of goods. If someone follows through and pays, like, 
whoever expects the person on the other side to be like, okay, we're cool. Thanks. Like, why? I can't. I guess, why bother? I Do you want to get caught? That it's ever worked out because I don't have a complete and vast knowledge of every crime ever committed. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, fi- I figured that would be where this strikes the dead end. But... Of all the people, though, you would. I know. I feel like <laughs> I'm going to have to find that answer. Um, it won't be the next episode, but maybe the one after. I have a follow-up question about okay. this particular ransom note. I'm going to end up reading it to you guys. Okay, but I have a visual <laughs> question about the ransom note. Of course. Okay. Was it like a, was it a typed note? Was this handwritten? Was it like straight up ransom note, like cut out of magazines? Like, oh. also it's two fucking pages long. Two and a like, half. That's a fucking manifesto. That's a ransom manifesto. How does that, like, what is the visual that accompanies that? I will get to that because it's huge. That's a Maybe huge part of the story. <laughs> this was before text messaging and Twitter, so like people were not used to just cutting down on characters. Oh boy. Okay. Oh, oh my god. Please keep your ransom notes to 140 characters or less. Thank you. Give me your shit. Bye. <laughs> Thread reader unravel. <laughs> oh. Um. Okay. So, back to what should have been done in this moment. What should have been done is all of the Ramses escorted from the house, right? They should have been taken to the police station, not only for safety, but to be questioned. Um, that way they couldn't corroborate the story or anything like that past the point that the officers arrived. And then the officers should have gone through the house with a fine tooth comb, right? Yeah. Now, that's, that is basic procedure. We all know that, right? Yeah. Like, we've seen Law and Order. So, that was a terrible, like, you know, whatever. But that is what happens when you have a child abduction. They have, they don't even, like, label this a crime scene yet when she has been clearly removed from this home. It's a crime scene because she has been removed from the home by somebody unknown, did they think that she just went to the store or something at her age? Like, what the fuck? These cops are dumb. So, let me tell you what... Just just popped out for some smoke. <laughs> That's what I... I know. She went rolling in the snow, needed a, needed a cigar to think things over. Okay, oh, so here's God. what happened. They conduct the cursory search. They find no sign of forced entry, right? Officer... Rick French, and I cannot not think of the salad dressing every time I think of him, so just imagine a bottle of salad dressing. He goes to the basement. <laughs> I, I went straight to American Dad, like Ricky Spanish. <laughs> Ricky Spanish. Oh, <laughs> Lord. So he goes to the basement. He came to a door that was secure by a wooden latch. Hmm. He pauses for a moment in front of the door, but he walked away without opening it. French. What? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I didn't mean to respond right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best response you could have had. I'm sorry. This one's closed. Move on to the next. <laughs> Wooden latch, by the way, guys. No lock. It's just a little latch. Okay. I... I... 
This is almost as dumb as those cops in the crime that you were telling about me about where the guy had the baby under the covers and they just simply didn't look under the covers. Oh, yeah. When they investigated the home. Oh, yeah, oh this... I'm just laying in the bed. No big deal. Yeah, no worries. The kid's right in the room with you, but no worries. More than once. Um, yeah, it's about to get stupider. And I said <laughs> stupider, not more stupid, because that's how bad it is. Oh, goodness. Continue. You're I'm so it. sorry. Oh, okay. So French later explained that he was looking for an exit route used by a kidnapper, which the closed door inside was ruled out because it couldn't be locked from the inside. Hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just... What? <laughs> I... How small of a brain do you have to have to not think outside the box? How small of your brain well, of a brain do you have to have to not know that this is already a crime scene? Also, like, I every every cop and every cop drama is always like most of the time it's done by someone in the family. Oh, so yeah. like, why aren't they more suspicious? And he just. But I will never understand this. I'm sorry. Continue. Oh, okay. So Listen, I figure... If this... Oh, what were you saying? Sorry. Oh, I was just no. going to say, if this is, like, full-on Ricky Spanish, one of Roger's designs, like, one of his things, you know it's it's Officer French who did it. <laughs> <laughs> like, and furthermore, you know that he was probably like, this door with a wooden latch is a great place to hide someone. Wherever wherever this officer may be now, watch. He actually did do it, and Elizabeth's going to get a note being like, cease and desist. It's gonna I be hope like... it's not a two-page note. Dude. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, God. It's going like, to be like... Just respond, no heart. <laughs> it's going to be like the Circleville letter writer, which I did with Gia, where like when Unsolved Mysteries were was uh, investigating them they got a letter from the circle of a letter writer who was like don't investigate me el sickos and i was deceased i was like (laughs) where's my letter do i get an email (laughs) oh my gosh the the call was coming from inside the house (laughs) that's my favorite place the call always comes from okay i wasn't gonna read the letter but now it's time I gotta do it. Are you oh ready? Boy. Does he uh, ask for French salad dressing? <laughs> Worse. So, you ready? Buckle up. Mr. Ramsey, listen carefully. We are a group of individuals that represent a small foreign faction. We do respect your business, but not the country it serves. At this time, we have your daughter in our possession. She is safe and unharmed. And if you want her to see 1997, you must follow our instructions to the letter. You will withdraw $118,000 from your account. $100,000 will be in $100 bills and the remaining $18,000 in $20 bills. Make sure that you bring an adequate size attache to the bank. When you get home, you will put the money in a brown paper bag. I will call you between 8 and 10 a.m. tomorrow 
to instruct you on delivery. The delivery will be exhausting, so I advise you to be rested. If we monitor you getting the money early, we might call you early to arrange an earlier delivery of the money, and hence an earlier delivery pickup of your daughter. Any deviation of my instructions will result in the immediate execution of your daughter. You will also be denied her remains for proper burial. The two gentlemen watching over your daughter do not particularly like you, so I'd advise you not to provoke them. Speaking to anyone about your situation, such as police, FBI, etc., will result in your daughter being beheaded. If we catch you talking to a stray dog, she dies. If you alert the bank authority, she dies. If the money is in any way marked or tampered with, she dies. You will be scanned for electronic devices, and if any are found, she dies. You can try to deceive us, but be warned that we are familiar with law enforcement countermeasures and tactics. You stand a 99% chance of killing your daughter if you try to outsmart us. Follow our instructions and you stand a 100% chance of getting her back. You and your family are under constant scrutiny as well as authorities. Don't try to grow a brain, John. You are not the only fat cat around, so don't think that killing will be difficult. Do not underestimate us, John. Use that good southern common sense of yours. It is up to you now, John. Victory SBTC. Okay, I have notes. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna workshop this note as oh they should God. have before they yeah. sent it. Off. Did did anybody hear <laughs> the speed references in there? I, heard I just heard <laughs> to the I heard speed. the Parks and Rec reference where yes. it's the episode with the guy with the guys from Venezuela, and he's like. This kind of behavior is never never tolerated in Baracqua. You shout like that, they put you in jail. Right away, no trial, no nothing. You're stealing, right to jail. <laughs> Playing music too loud, right to jail, right away. <laughs> like, that's all I could hear. It's just, it also sounded like a showrunner's assistant giving their boss directions. Where it's oh like, God, your it your flight is at 9 a.m., sir. You have to be up at 6 because the fucking driver is going to be there at 7. And we have to pay an extra $2,000 if you're not in the car. Oh, my God. That's beautiful. A hundred percent. Holy it, shit. It sounded like, did they check into his assistant at all? Because... <laughs> <laughs> that that sounds like someone who's just upset with him not following rules and they're like i got you a cappuccino soy with no sugar a million times and every time you forget what like what my name is I, oh my god it's like remember that one time they were out of soy and i used oat milk and you got mad and made a face i'm gonna write about it <laughs> <laughs> Remember that time that I peed in it and you had no idea? <laughs> oh my god. The whole time the whole time Fury was reading it, all I could think was like, huh. And this is gonna be a really niche reference, but it was like, I wonder if like this is the template that RuPaul uses when they sequestered the queens for filming. Because I think it would work. <laughs> like, oh my like, god. Just just replace all of the references to Jean Bonnet. 
with references to the queen's phones and their social media. <laughs> oh. If you talk to anyone, we will smash your phone. And then three more paragraphs about how they're going to smash your phone and <laughs> references about how arduous the first day is going to be. So be rested. Like, did Michelle Massage write this? That is why I was like, this is an assistant. Like, be sure that you pack yes. snacks. Do you yeah. have your granola bar? You know you get hangry. Like, who knows the contents of his stomach? Like, that is what I'm wondering. Bring so, gummy bears in case your blood sugar drops. Here's the funny thing about the ransom note, okay? So, we all know who John Douglas is, right? No. I do not. Michael Douglas is someone? No, oh my God, Justin. Grandfather. Grandfather. Michael Douglas wishes he was so cool to be related to John Douglas. So John Douglas is a founding member of, basically he founded the Behavioral Science Unit, which is now the Behavioral Analysis Unit. Uh, he wrote the book Mindhunter. The show Mindhunter is based off of his book Mindhunter. The main character is loosely based off of him, etc. Was he the Mindhunter? Yeah. <laughs> You know, I think I, he was the hunter of minds. Yeah, oh. that's more it. Sometimes the book comes before the show. Who was his ghostwriter on the book? Because that's who I think did this. <laughs> no, I mean, fair. Because he did write a book about this, too. So anyway, he actually helped out on this case with the Ramses and ended up started working pro bono because he stopped taking their money. He was like, this is bananas. Anyway, I don't think that's a direct quote. Here's his thoughts on the ransom note. So regardless of who committed the crime, John Douglas was kind of positive that the note was written before the murder, right? He can see a scenario where an intruder broke in while the Ramses were out because they were out Christmas Day. And just like, you know, walked around the house found a notepad, found a pen, and just wrote a note at their leisure. And it may sound absurd, but why not? Like, you can, you could see someone doing that, right? Like, just chilling, writing out a hilarious three-page notes just with movie quotes in there, like current movie quotes. And that is more likely, in Douglas's opinion, than a loving parent who may have accidentally killed their child to write that note because nowhere in the note is John Bonet mentioned by name. And he figures that's because the intruder didn't actually know her and probably didn't know how to spell her name. Oh boy. Oh, oh my God. Oh my God. <clears throat> we know everything about you, sir, but we don't know how to spell your daughter's name. To be fair. People just, spell their names very differently all the time. Yeah. But he could they couldn't find Jean Bonnet. I mean that's like a they made that name up. So life happens. Anyway, so the ransom letter is unusually long. The FBI tells the police it's so unusually long that they need to investigate it. So now the police believe it's staged. Because it doesn't have any fingerprints except for Patsy's and the people who were 
authorities that handled it. And it has an unusual use of exclamation marks and initialisms. The note and a practice draft were written with a pen and a pad of paper from the Ramsey home. I don't see why that matters if it's an intruder. I really don't. That's just me. Like, anybody could bust up in there and be like, Oh, shit. Get me a pad of paper. I got some time to waste. Um, I mean, you know they had it lying around. Yeah. Like, some people have gone so far to say is like, it was her personal stationery. And I was like, bitch, no one said that. That is a lie. <laughs> so, um, they a lot of people were saying that there were indications that Patsy Ramsey wrote the note. Uh, so there was, she had to take a handwriting analysis test four times, where they basically made her write the note out four times. And she had like one marker out of 13. But the thing that drives me bananas is like, how is that a handwriting analysis test? You take all of the handwriting that she's done prior to it, but also I can change my handwriting very easily. And I can do it for a whole paragraph. Like, I could do it for a whole two and a half page ransom letter. And then you could never see me write like that again. Like there there are there is science. I know that this has been done on TV shows at least that through like credible sources where people who study handwriting it's it's not necessarily like each letter is going to be the same but it's the slopes and the curves sure are going to be similar so if they found if they found a correlation between like all five it would be enough evidence for them I would throw it out like as a judge I'd throw it out because I would be like I don't buy that like you had her write it five times eventually it's going to look the same because she's copying from the original. Mm. And they had another guy do it seven times and he still was cleared and they called him back again to do it again. And I was like, okay, once is enough twice. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Nope. Nope. All you. No, I was just like, and I don't, I don't know where I sit. Like, I've sort of forgotten a lot of the specifics of this case. So, like, I know at one point everyone was super sure that the mom or the dad did it. A lot of people still are. Okay. But, like, regardless, if... What a fucking nightmare that must be to have to write your daughter's ransom note over and over again. Yeah. Like, that is psychological fucking torture if you... If you didn't do it, and maybe even if it were, like, a cover-up where it's just, like, I just let this get way out of hand. Like, that is a horror to yeah. contemplate going through. That's a Do you think that point. that's... Sorry. Oh, no, you're... I said nothing. <laughs> I was just going to ask if you think that that was actually, like, part of the reason why they did it, if they suspected her or something, where it's like, oh, we're going to, like make her do this and maybe she'll just break and, and confess. I don't think they're that smart. They they couldn't open a door, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't open a door that just had a wooden latch. Do you think that they're smart enough to be like, I'm going to break her in interrogation? And also, <laughs> they said that there couldn't have been an intruder because there were no footprints in the snow, but the area in which the intruder theory works, there wouldn't have been snow there. 
God, these people are so stupid. Oh yeah, no, it's, I feel like it's, this just turned into an Agatha Christie novel. Just as it's worse than an Agatha Christie novel because it's just bumbling police. Like if Joe Kenda had been on this uh, case, it had been solved in forty-five minutes. Joe Kenda is a Colorado Springs detective. He has his own TV show, Homicide Hunter. Yes, because he has like an insanely high rate for clearing homicides. Totally watch it. He's sassy. He's amazing, and one of my heroes. Is he the mind hunter? No, he's the homicide hunter. <laughs> There's too many hunters. I know they got to get creative with these names, like man with a van. Just saying. Kelly, you are obsessed show. with that show. How did they have enough source material? Men should not be allowed to own bands. <laughs> men should also not the have their men should also not be using their box spring and their mattress on the floor. But here we are in the society where constantly men do that. Well, to be fair, we're all broken. Drag me. No, I'm joking. I'm married now, so I have a proper bed. I was yeah, about to see? say, Justin, are you going <laughs> to open your mouth? It was touch and go for a really long time. And then I was like, eh, he's Look, the one. Maybe I'll I, clean up my act. I had to explain to this guy once that, like, your mattress on the floor leads to mold and oh, bug no. infestation. And he still was like, well, I haven't had a problem in the 13 years of in my apartment <laughs> where I had a, oh my, my mattress on the floor. This guy writes of movies, course. guys. Oh he he has wow. an income. And I'm just like, men, I don't trust men. I'm sorry, Justin. But Oh no, I, I, I am completely with you. I don't think Justin <laughs> trusts himself. Oh, Justin's man. like, I'm not sure what I'm capable of either. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're gonna keep continuing. Wait. We're gonna continue. So No no no, keep continuing. Keep continuing. <laughs> John Bonet is still missing, and John Ramsey makes arrangements to pay the ransom, right? He's like, I'll pay it. I don't give a fuck. Where's my kid? Um, that's my editorialization of John Ramsey. I hope he loves it. Right. And he's got that nice Christmas bonus. <laughs> like, oh, he's like, well, I'm going to spend on it on my hand, kid. Right? It's like, on one hand, I was going to get the, like, Barbie Jeep thing. On the other hand, I could pay this ransom, and it still isn't, like, it was a bonus. Could you imagine that Christmas where if he got her back and he's just like, your life. You don't get a Barbie. You don't get a Barbie dream house. <laughs> well, to I be pay fair, for your life. <laughs> this is the day after Christmas, so she already got her toys. Oh, I take yeah. it back. It was also in very poor taste. Continue. <laughs> Are you kidding? But at the same time, he's a multimillionaire. He has a multi-million dollar company. Oh, screw that. Then she gets her life and a million Barbie dream homes. Yeah, I was like, she gets literally whatever she wants coming home. However, we all know she doesn't come home. So the team initially, oh wait, a forensic team is dispatched to the house. Have I mentioned, by the way, that nobody knows how to handle a kidnapping in Boulder, Colorado? There was one person who took a seminar and they were out of town for Christmas. Are you They took a seminar. <laughs> they took a seminar. That's like me saying, like, I can show run. I took a class at LMU <laughs> 10 years ago. What? I mean, okay, that's like what me do we saying... Think the icebreaker? I could... Up? That's like me saying I could handle a kidnapping. I think I'm more qualified than these bimbos. Oh, I just want to know what the icebreakers at this seminar would have been. 
<laughs> have you ever seen like, a child? State your name, one of your hobbies, and your preferred method of escape. <laughs> oh my god, Justin! <laughs> and the hobby and the preferred method cannot be the same. A forensic team was dispatched to the house. Remember, they have called friends. They have not, you know, made this a uh, crime scene yet. They have not taken anyone out. They also sent victims advocates who were basically people to help the family kind of cope with the situation. And they start cleaning parts of the house. They cleaned the famous bowl of pineapple. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, so there's no fingerprints on it. There obviously it gets washed. Um, the forensics team comes in. They initially believe that the child has been kidnapped. Um, and that John Bonet's bedroom was the only room in the house that is cordoned off to prevent contamination of evidence. I'm sorry. I couldn't even read that seriously. So no precautions are taken to prevent contamination of evidence in the rest of the house. And look, like they don't have the shows we have. They had like Matlock and Columbo. They're not thinking maybe we should do the rest of this. They're just being stupid. So friends and the family's minister arrive. They're supporting the Ramses. The victim's advocates are there. Visitors picked up and cleaned surfaces of the kitchen. Um, then you have Boulder Detective Linda Arndt. I like to call her Crazy Eyes because there are times that you can see the entire white of her eye. Like, the whole pupil and the white around it. And it is nutter butters. Like, she terrifies me. Anyway... Like Elizabeth Holmes level crazy eyes, worse. Because those are some cr- whoa. Those wow. You know wow. she's blonde with blue eyes too. Yeah, they're <laughs> they're on the same level. But uh, so Linda Arndt arrives about eight a.m. and she has the goal of awaiting the kidnappers' instructions. But there's not an attempt by anyone to claim the money, and Linda Arndt is kind of a butthead, okay? She's like, well, John and Patsy just let 10 a.m. go and didn't say anything. And part of me is kind of like, that was your job! Like, they were relying on you. They're panicked. They're shitting themselves. Like, if that's what you think is an admission of guilt, you're terrible at what you do. Anyway, so at 1 p.m., Detective Arndt has been with the the Ramseys and the family friends. Burke was sent to the Fernies, F-U-R-N-E-Y, not to be confused with me, um, the Fernies house, which was another family friend to not be a part of any of this. Um, and Fleet White and his wife, um, yes, his name is Fleet, like a fleet of uh, ships. Yeah, okay. That's a fake name. I will give you, like, Ricky French, but Fleet White. (laughs) Who are these people? Are they actual real detectives? No, this is a family friend. 
Oh. The story editor on this wasn't editing that story very well. 1996 <laughs> was probably like show ran by the same person who was doing like 2020. Oh, God. Jesus. Okay. Mm. Buckle in for this, okay? So Detective Arndt is like, you know what? John and Fleet, why don't you go search the house and see if anything seems amiss? After people have cleaned, after people have been all up in that biz, so they just, like, search the house. They are not officers. They have no sort of, like, okay, let's do this by anyone but that bitch, right? And I'm saying that bitch because guess what? They go down to the basement. And John looks around and he opens the latch door that Officer French salad dressing overlooked. I wouldn't say overlooked, decided not to open, right? And guess what he finds? Oh boy. Oh yes. A vat of salad dressing. That would be better. <laughs> he finds Jean Benet's body inside one of the rooms, it was inside of the wine cellar. Oh, my God. Yes. JonBenet's mouth was covered in duct tape. She had a nylon cord that's around her wrist and neck. The one around her neck was tied like a garrote with a broken pencil, pencil, sorry, paintbrush. And her torso was covered with a white blanket. So John Ramsey picks her up and she takes her upstairs so when John Bonet was moved, the crime scene obviously is further contaminated and critical forensic evidence was disturbed for the returning forensics team. Um, they also, Linda Arndt, also allowed them to put another blanket over her once she's taken to the living room. And I believe there was another sweatshirt over her as well. So each of the Ramses did provide handwriting, blood and hair samples to the police John and Patsy participated in the preliminary interview for more than two hours. And then Burke was also interviewed within the first couple of weeks after following her death. And then they shut down completely. Um, Basically, we go into the autopsy stage next. So thoughts before we move on to the autopsy? Wait, so, okay, so sorry, go ahead, Justin. You first. No, 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 you're fine. You're fine. Go for it. I just wanted to get the timeline right. So they they get the ransom note, see her missing. 5 a.m. 5 a.m. Or close to 6 a.m. 6 a.m. She gets berated. It feels like it, but maybe yeah. not quite. The they have her write the rewrite the ransom notes after this, I'm guessing. No, no. Yeah, way after, way after. Way after. Okay. So they they travel the house, and then they find the body that, that same day? That same day at 1 p.m. Oh, wow. So okay. the basement had been searched by officers, like, two, three times. And specifically, French remembered not looking behind the wooden latch. He remembered that. Um, so no ransom money was paid or anything? Nope. That right. They never okay. got the call that it was going to be that day. Now, some people say, I will call you tomorrow, may have re- referred to the 27th. However, you know, why call? 
Yeah. I mean, but like at that point, why write the note? That's yeah, why that... people think it happened. I say people. Uh, John Douglas, who is the person that I back up, thinks that it was written before the the murder. Hmm. Now, are we all familiar here, and it's okay if we're not, what a garrot is? Yeah. 100% not. Okay, so a garrot is often a cord or like fishing wire, piano wire, and guitar string, like the nylon cord. Um and it's wrapped around and then used with a stick to tighten like a stick of any kind so like the broken piano piano paintbrush it's used to tighten it because fucking intentional and violent right it's often used in sadism um actually choking a human being is incredibly difficult and very taxing on the body like to do that intentionally people don't realize how hard that is to actually do um even if she's six i mean like depending on the age of this person but for someone to know how to to tie a garrot much less utilize it it's intense so they find the garrot still on her and there's no blood on um like her body at that point like they can't see anything So let's go into the autopsy. So the autopsy revealed that John Bonet had been killed by the strangulation, but she had also suffered a skull fracture. Now, the official cause of death was asphyxia by strangulation, and the craniocerebral trauma, it seemed to have happened after her death, and I'll tell you why. If her heart had stopped beating and she hit her head that hard, well, her head was hit that hard, I should say, that would explain the lack of blood. Because the amount of force that it would take to dent her skull that bad, there would have been ruptured skin and bleeding. But if she was already dead, it wouldn't have done as much damage because... There's no blood pumping through the body. And that explains why there's not even the minute, you know, spray of blood anywhere in the house. No, not in her room, not in the cellar, nowhere. So there is no evidence of conventional rape, though a sexual assault couldn't be ruled out. There is no semen found, but there had been evidence that she had been molested um there has been the argument made that she was a constant bedwetter and some of the um damage down for her could have been due to like uh i'm searching for the word rash due to a rash or something like that for bedwetting that you can get by like sitting in urine or something like that um but it's not and that's not been disproven but there still was vaginal injury uh at the time of the autopsy the pathologist recorded that she had been wiped with a cloth and her death is ruled a homicide so part of the bristle end of the paintbrush used as a garrote was made um, 
or part of the Bristol end was in a bathtub and the actual paintbrush itself was one from Patsy's art supplies, but it was kept at the bottom third of the house and it was never found the other part, despite the extensive searching of the house by police in the subsequent days. So the autopsy also revealed um, a vegetable or fruit material, which may represent pineapple, uh, undigested in her stomach. So that meant John Bonet had eaten a few hours before her death. Now, Patsy um, had not given her pineapple before um, going to bed, and John hadn't given it to her either. And but Burke had had some, and so it would have been in the fridge. The bowl of pineapple was on the kitchen table with a spoon in it, but it was cleaned by the um, victims' advocates and friends that had come in. The Ramses um, have always said that Burke slept through the entire night until he was awakened several hours after the police arrived because the police arrived at like six a.m. So. That's what the autopsy revealed as the cause of death for Chambonet. Any questions there? Jesus. So, uh, how old is Burke? Burke is nine at the time of uh, Chambonet's death. And this was all stuff that was literally behind the door that the one cop just decided to not open. Yes. So it, it had to happen in the house, right? Like if she, with Allegedly. the pineapple? They did have a security system and it was turned off um, that night. Like maybe they forgot to do it. Maybe like they had had a little too much to drink at the Christmas party and, you know, whatever. But um, there was a Christmas party the night before. Yeah, they had gone to a Christmas party. They had gone to a Christmas party. Okay. Yeah. I was like, if there were people in the house the day before. Well, they had left the house. And yeah. there are many keys to the house that were unaccounted for. Don't worry. We'll get into some suspects. But, um, yeah. It is not implausible that somebody came in and waited downstairs until they went to bed. This is insane. Um, so, some more things from John Douglas, who, again, extensive behavioral analysis. Now, of course, he's a retired FBI agent, and he pioneered behavioral profiling. He was hired by the Ramses to give his professional opinion, and he was never able to give a full psychological profile of the killer. And don't worry, he's not always right, and he knows that. Um for the uh, Green River Killer, he thought it was multiple killers when it turned out to just be Gary Ridgeway and that people just didn't care about sex workers, and, which is horrific that he was able to get away with a stupid amount of crimes because people didn't value human life. You know, whatever. So he was not given full access because the Boulder PD was so combative and reluctant 
because they fucked up and they knew it. They fucked up big time. So John Douglas spent months of investigating and he started refusing the payments from the family because he came to the conclusion that he felt like an intruder was the culprit and it felt like a personal vendetta against John. That's his conclusion. So I didn't want to not bring up these possibilities because a lot of people still feel like John Ramsey and Patsy are uh, culpable in this crime. And I'll explain that in a moment. But I did want to bring up John Douglas's thoughts as he is probably one of the highest opinions people respect in this realm. So he, John Douglas feels like, as I mentioned with the blunt force trauma to her head, there's 99% of the time blood spatter. Like it may be a very fine mist, but there's some sort of blood spatter and investigators never found any in the house, not on the walls or any sort of weapon ever. And like, there was an assertion that there was a flashlight that was somewhat of the same size as her um, injury and that Burke could have hit her with a flashlight and they covered it up. And um, he, Neither Burke nor JonBenet's DNA is found on that flashlight. It doesn't kind of make sense because that would have left a lot more, you know, DNA on it and blood doesn't come off that easy. So he says that the garrote strangulation had to have happened first, then the head trauma. Um... Nobody knows what room she was actually killed in in the house and how she got this massive skull fracture that never sprayed blood. But it was if her heart had stopped beating, this hemorrhaging would not have really done the same kind of damage had she already been alive. So this goes against that theory that a family member hit her either accidentally or on purpose, and staged the scene with the garrote. And then speaking to the vaginal trauma that I mentioned in her autopsy, he said that it could have happened very close or during her murder. Um, a very skilled coroner probably would have shown, uh, been able to tell if there were signs of healing or not. Like, because sometimes... Young children can get trauma in those areas from, like, riding a bike or anything like that. Um, but the coroner wasn't able to distinguish those kind of things if it was actually from the crime or if it was something, like I said, like a rash or from riding a bike or from, like, falling, that kind of thing. Um, and then we talked about the ransom note where John Douglas said... He felt that it was written before the murder um, by somebody who had been in the house, wrote it at their leisure. Um, and it's not without precedent because he felt like an intruder, like not really knowing enough about her, could easily write that kind of note 
and kind of have fun playing with the family, knowing that they were never going to get their daughter back. Um, he also finds the idea that if JonBenet was killed by a parent in a fit of rage, that the full, the first thing to come to mind was, okay, we're not going to take her to the hospital. We're going to, I don't know, stage it to look like a botched kidnapping. And he finds it extremely unlikely because of a number of things, but John Ramsey it was often accused of being a pedophile and was abusing his daughter. And there was no evidence to support this. And remember that John Ramsey had other children who were grown adults and his surviving daughter, Melinda. And if you remember Elizabeth had died in a car accident was sure. And to this day is still sure that her father was not capable of that, that he loved Jean Benet, he loved Burke. Um, I should say loves. He is still living. Um, that both him and Patsy, that's not something that they were capable of. They weren't those kind of people. And John Douglas's uh, point was people don't behave this way in vacuums. Like, there's no type of individual that on out of nowhere... They're just going to, you know, bash the kid's head in and decide to stage it with a wife, you know, like his own, his entire family and ex-wife were thoroughly questioned by investigators, um, heavily scrutinized by the media, but no one was able to find anything to back up those assertion, like assertions that he abused his daughter, his other children or anyone. And but it's still kept in the media as this like, oh, he was an abuser. He was this kind of person. And that has to be additionally traumatizing for John Ramsey himself. Like not only is this his second child to die that he has to bury before himself, but he is constantly labeled a mur like not only a murderer, but an abuser when it's not the second part for sure is not true. Um, John Douglas says there's always a buildup to it. There is always something that seems to trigger it, if you will. So the scenario that John Douglas seems to think is possible is that Jean Bonnet's killer was a young white male who had a personal grudge against John Ramsey and he wanted to carry it out by defiling and robbing him of one of the most valuable things in the world to him, which was one of his children. And if you think about it, Burke is going to be much more difficult. He's a nine-year-old young boy. He's more likely to fight, fight back. Whereas Jean Bonnet was a beauty pageant queen. She's a little bit more frail. She's sick. She's fragile. Um, so this person could have come in when the family was out, could have hung out in one of the basements, could have brought everything with him. Um, JonBenet's body had two points that looked like it was either from a stun gun or a taser or something like that and brought everything with him and he could have incapacitated her in her room with a stun gun and that's why no one heard anything. And the ransom demand was just a way to throw the parents off 
and to kind of spin their wheels for no reason. And he had no intention on collecting. May I ask a question about the stun gun theory, though? Yes. Wouldn't that leave some sort of, like, singe marks on the skin that would have been found? And they, they were. They were? Okay. But they they misattribute it. They're like, oh, well, that also matches one of Burke's trains and he could have hit her, which doesn't really make sense. You know? Yeah, there's a difference between, like, burns and bruises. I so don't the cops rec- really wanted to pin it on the family, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, it's like they got tunnel vision. Yeah. And I'm not saying that it couldn't have been them. I'm just saying there's other directions that you could look. And they didn't look in that direction at no. all. They yeah. they make really bad choices. Um, Those directions were behind a wooden latch. <laughs> Yikes. A salad dressing didn't have time to look at. Um, he also was making like a point, and it could cast suspicion on the Ramses, but it's also possible if he had written a shorter note in a more succinct ransom note that the time he had to himself he just was like you know i'm gonna write a longer one um because they were out and it's not like you go and check every room in a giant house before you go to bed except i would because i'm me but then again i wouldn't have a giant house because i'm terrified um however his theory is that he began to strangle her either during or right after molestation and whether or not he meant to, it caused her death. When he realized what he had done, he just gave her a blow to the head to like, make sure the job was done instead of taking her and left the house. And so some people are still in the fence. Um, There is another similar situation. There's a disappearance of Annie Heron so she was 73 years old from Jackson, Mississippi. She uh, disappeared and a ransom note was left on the door demanding that her husband, Robert, pay damages to 12 individuals who were former franchise owners of a company that he took over and basically were harmed financially. And so as predicted by investigators, one of the 12 named in the note was likely the kidnapper. Kidnapper? Wow. Um, it was a man named Newton Alfred Wynn, who was nearly bankrupt after the failed lawsuit. But his motive wasn't about the money at all, but it was just sheer anger and wanted revenge. So he was convicted of conspiracy, extortion, and perjury, but Annie has never been found to this day. And no one has been charged with her murder because at this point she is most definitely dead just by the sheer passage of time. So this could be a similar situation with John Monet's case that the ransom was just not the true motive. And uh, we're likely dealing with someone who is unsophisticated, disorganized, and probably young. Um, Maybe someone that John fired. Maybe somebody that John didn't even realize was even like in his ballpark, like maybe they didn't actually like work for him, but worked for his company. And this guy felt like he wronged him personally, even though 
they had no connection to him. And they decided, oh, no, I'm going to go after the guy who owns the company. I'm going to do this. Um, so that's basically uh, John Douglas's um, take on it. Now, most people, I would say most, um, the media basically did a trial by media and just pointed straight at the Ramses and did not let up. And when during the autopsy, John had a friend in the police department and they basically said, look, they're looking at you and you should probably get a lawyer. Um, so they did. They basically lawyered up and were like, we're done talking to you. You have botched this whole thing. So until you get your shit together, we are not talking to you again. And the media took that as them being guilty, as them being uncooperative when John basically signed that they could search his house. Um, there was a lot going on there. So before I talk about the investigation, do you have any questions? Thoughts? Concerns? Have I blown your socks off yet? When did Nancy Grace rise to fame? You know, I don't know that off the top of my head. This seems like a very prototypical, like, if Nancy Grace wasn't on it, she, she was, was very she much was on- like, oh, she this was. will be my, like, okay, okay. I was because- saying, this is, like, literally writing the book for what Nancy Grace is. This this is, like, her case, essentially. Do you remember that episode of a uh, Family Guy where it was, like, uh, news at a glance with Genevieve Vance. Yeah, this is a hundred percent making fun of this situation. Gotcha. Okay. So the reason that I wanted to cover this is not necessarily just because it's unsolved, because this is much much bigger and well known than most of the cases I covered. But if you have a Netflix subscription, they did a show called Trial by Media, and a lot of those cases wanted to make me throw up because they were so, it was so painful to watch. Um, I texted one of all of our mutual friends about uh, one of the cases Bernie gets because he used to live in New York. And I was like, did you live there in this time? And I was like, how is this man seen as a hero for shooting four young black men in a subway. And like, I don't understand this is, that's a crime. That's a hate crime. And basically the whole show is about how the media changed the perspective of how people viewed the case. And I find that people who are much older than us, I think between like 10 to 20 years have a very different perspective on the facts of this case because of their media investment during than they do for the people who are, were children growing up us. So um, I wanted to let you know how it went for them and how, the Ramses basically were pariahs for a long time. So six months after the 
death of their daughter, they moved back to Georgia. They were done. Um, in an interview with Barbara Walters, I think it was like 20 years later, um, after Patsy had uh, passed away, she or John Ramsey said, if anything tragic ever happens to you, let somebody else be in charge of your money because you will lose everything. You lose any ability to make those decisions. That's not verbatim, but that was the the gist of what he was saying. And it makes sense because you can't process these huge traumatic things and make small decisions at the same time. And so I thought that was really interesting to hear from him, like this big multimillionaire to losing almost everything because all he wanted to do was find his daughter's killer and all they wanted to do was make it him. They weren't interested in finding the real, like, the real killer. They were just interested in closing the case. So, error... Oh, sorry. Was someone going to say something? Yeah, I, I was wondering, is this a sheriff's department or a police department? Do we know? I, um, I want to say... I'm not, I'm not 100% certain of the difference at the moment. Yeah, I think it's a it's a police department. It's police because the police chief. I'm going to talk about him. That's it. Yeah. Okay. And Uh, have they ever had like any other major crimes that they've had to deal with or what the hell? At that point? No. Like not not like this. Okay. Um, But also that's no excuse. Like if you don't know how to handle it, call someone who does. Oh, like, seriously. All yeah. of this, like, don't piss in our territory bullshit is bullshit. Like, you could have called Joe Kenda. He was on the fucking force. He was over in Colorado Springs. <sighs> anyway, so errors that were made in the initial ex- investigation complicated the resolution of the investigation, obviously. Major ones were loss of and contamination of evidence, lack of experience and technical staff on the investigation, the evidence shared with the Ramseys, delayed informal interviews with the parents and um, Burke. And so there was a man named Lou Smith. He was a detective. He came out of retirement early to assist the DA's office, Boulder County DA's office, with the case. So in May 1998, he presented his findings to the Boulder police and other staff members of the DA's office. Um, all of his evidence pointed away from the Ramseys. They were unable to successfully challenge the police department's belief that the Ramseys were guilty. Are we starting to see a pattern here? Um, so yeah. <laughs> I know it's amazing. Uh, The DA's office sought to take control of the investigation, but due to the animosity between the police and the DA's office, the pressure to obtain a conviction, Colorado Governor Roy Romer interceded and named Michael Kane a special prosecutor to initiate a grand jury. Two of the lead investigators on the case had opposing views. Both Lou Smith and Steve Thomas ultimately resigned. So Steve Thomas was one of the investigators as well. Uh, Smith believed because he believed that the investigation had 
incompetently overlooked the intruder hypothesis, and Thomas because the DA's office had interfered with and failed to support the police investigation of the case. I mean, if you're doing a bad job, you're doing a bad job. But a grand jury is convened beginning September 15th, 1998. And at this point, they were living in Georgia, so they had to come back to Colorado. And it's to consider indicting the Ramseys for charges relating to the case. In 1999, um, the grand jury returned a true bill to charge the Ramseys with placing the child at risk in a way that led to her death and with obstructing an investigation of murder based on the probable cause standard applied in such a grand la, la, la. based on the probable cause standard applied in such grand jury proceedings. But Boulder County District Attorney Alex Hunter did not prosecute them because he did not believe they could he could meet the higher standard of proving guilt beyond a reasonable doubt that is required for a criminal conviction. Mary Lacey, the next Boulder County DA, took over the investigation from the police on December 26, 2002. So we are now pretty far away. We're like, what, six years away? Like, guys. Yikes. Sorry, I had to count on my fingers. Yes, six years. Um. So in April 2003, she agreed with a federal judge who sat on a 2002 libel case that evidence in the suit is more consistent with a theory that an intruder murdered Jean-Benet than it is with a theory that Mrs. Ramsey did. On July 9th, 2008, the Boulder District Attorney's Office announced that as a result of newly developed DNA sampling and testing techniques, touch DNA analysis, the Ramsey family members were excluded as suspects on the case. So Lacey publicly exonerated the Ramseys. Good. On February 2nd, 2009, Boulder Police Chief Mark Beckner announced that Stan Garnett, the new Boulder County District Attorney, was turning the case over to his agency and that his team would resume investigating it. Garnett found that the statute of limitations for crimes identified in the 1999 grand jury true bill had expired and did not pursue review of the case against the Ramses. In October of 2010, which is crazy because that was the year I would graduate high school, the Boulder police resumed the cold, uh, reopened the cold case. New interviews were conducted following a fresh inquiry by a committee. Um, it was reported in September 2016 that the investigation to John Monet's death continues to be an active homicide case per Boulder Police Chief Greg Testa. So, there we go. That, my friends, is where we are in the Jean Benet Ramsey case. That's without. This was a really piss poor investigation. Jesus, was it ever. There's they like nothing. There. They fucked up. Oh, they fucked up so bad. Like, there is a fuck up of, of investigations in cold cases, but this is like they made it nearly impossible for you to solve it even now. Hmm. Well, on top of the fact, they continuously went after the parents and no one else. Yeah, but they also like messed up evidence that could have helped years later. 
oh, by like God. only cutting off the only cutting off her room because if they if the body was dragged to the basement or if the body was dragged anywhere in the house and they, how are you gonna know and that's you need insane. like that was this is post OJ Simpson so it's not like they they know about DNA it's not like this is 1980 whatever. Well, yeah. 86 is the first place or the first time that DNA was used in a case. So it is still fairly new. And OJ was but, OJ was where? Was that uh, LA? That oh, was girl, LA. that's Brentwood. That was Brentwood. So you have to you also have to take into consideration that OJ happened in a city that it was, you know, LA is going to have first dibs at anything DNA. That's a good No, for sure, for in. sure. And they but they did have DNA. So here's my question, though. Okay, so going off of the OJ thing, like we had just wrapped up a case where, honestly, it was one way of looking at it is that it was totally messed up and just bungled by the the district attorney's office. How is any district attorney's office going to look at the evidence and situation with this case and decide to even move forward and take grand jury testimony? Like, that is absolutely baffling. It's it's ridiculous. And, you know, district attorneys are elected. And if everyone is screaming for blood, that's what they're going to do. I mean, I get that. But there's also nothing wrong with being like you. There needs to be more. There's like you, you should ideally. I mean, present day 2020 aside, you should always have a preponderance of evidence if you are going to bring a case. Yeah. And, like, I just, it really starts to feel like they were actually trying to manufacture a case for whatever reason. They really, I think they knew that they fucked up so bad that they were like, this is the only way we're going to close this case. So that's, that's it. That this is what we're going to do. Like, that's why they went headstrong. This is not the first time that we've seen the police do this. They do it all the time. It's just the first time we really, on a grand scale, saw the police do this to white people. Yeah, that's real. That's very especially real. Especially for it being, mm-hmm. like, a national news sensation. Yeah. Because, like, cops have fucked up children missing cases for decades. There's, there's the case in... I think it's Missouri um, with – hold on. I can find it. It, it. It's it's like one of the first cases that went nas- like nationwide, and they just messed it up so hard because they wouldn't even talk to surrounding counties and ask them if they had similar cases to, like, discover that this person is a serial child kidnapper. And, like, cops just are notorious for fucking it up. They, mm-hmm. They're so, like, as you said, tunnel vision. They have one idea in their mind. Like, it, it's I mean, bananas. this goes to the idea that the small town police forces, and I wouldn't say Boulder is a very small town, but small town police forces should be required to work together like inter county like policing should have to work together because it's ridiculous like the biggest frustration is like 
if you watch the movie Zodiac, you'll see how fucking frustrating it is of like, oh, you have to call this guy. Okay, you have to call this guy. Okay, you have to call this guy. Oh, we could have probably solved Zodiac if we didn't have all these people being so protective over their pools. Right. Like, Like that was, the case was Jacob Wetterling. Oh, yes. And he's the one that led, his case led to the nation's sex offender registries. Right. That his own mother has said, like, it's a dangerous thing because there are there's no way for sex offenders to end up living their lives fully after jail. Mm-hmm. And she feels bad about that, even though her her son was killed by one. And it also fed into the stranger danger theory. Because right. her we've, son was we've talked about that. Yeah. Uh, even though he was. He was pulled into a car. Yeah. And everything that happened afterwards. But it's this idea that the sheriff's department, even for the podcaster that did her season and ended up helping solve the case, the current sheriff wouldn't talk to her because he was too busy trying to protect his own ass and his own like department's ass, even though he wasn't there for it. He was still trying to protect the sanctity of police. Which is stupid. Like, I think that it's foolish and people... Like, no one's perfect. Own up to yeah. your mistakes. I think that's that's a big problem that I have with police in general is this idea that it's it's an all-boys club, that they can do no wrong. They shut up for everyone, even though they know that some of their own have done illegal shit. And yeah. it's like, it also leads to them thinking that, like, oh, I can cover up if I just didn't do my job right. And it's like, it's not even a thing of, like, oh, you didn't, do your job right if you just fessed up that you didn't do it right it could have been corrected early on yeah caught and it could have led to something bigger yeah like and the fucking police officer with the door yeah like I'm surprised him he fessed up exact no that's my thing is that i'm kind of actually impressed that he was like fuck i didn't even check the door because i wish more police officers would say that because then you can go back and fix it because they did. They know... went back and they searched. <laughs> well, at least now we know, though, that there wasn't a time where the police were called that her body was not there. Yeah. Because had he opened that door and her body wasn't there, that means it was placed there mm-hmm. at a certain period. Yeah. It's just. Yeah. So. Police, man. Well. We're going to stop here for this episode. We have gone really long. Um, I want to thank you guys so much for being here. So much for learning. And in episode part two, we're going to talk about what you've learned. And I'm also going to tell you about a false confession. Numbers, a number of possible murderers that aren't John and Patsy. And we're going to talk about how we feel about growing up in the midst of the 24-hour kid murder cycle. So... Yeah. Woohoo. This has yeah, been thank you. right on. This has been a Christmas crime. I'm Elizabeth Fury. Sound off, guys. I'm Kelly. I'm L- Justin. And I still like fruit. <laughs> <laughs> and I still I still have Megan Fox thumbs. <laughs> and I am still standing very, very still. <laughs> and this has been a delightful time talking about murder. And we will see All of you here next week on episode two. 
Ooh, what a pitch. All right. Ta-ta for now, my candy canes. This podcast was surprisingly produced by me. Original music by Miranda Miller. You can find us both on Twitter and Instagram at TalkAboutFacts. That's T-A-L-K-A-B-T-F-A-C-T-S. Or email recommendations to ltatfpodcast at gmail.com. Stay safe out there, friends.